Geek Bill Radio. Excelsior! Hello, geeks and geekettes. This is Seth, a.k.a. Xandrax, the mayor of Geekville, and the host of Geekville Radio with an edition of the Nostalgia Trip here. And one of the things we do with the Nostalgia Trip, outside of talking about things of past, pop culture of yesteryear, of yore, is we will dust off old episodes of Geekville Radio, maybe gussy them up a little bit, and re-release them for a special occasion. And in this case, this special occasion is the late great Stan the Man Lee. This past week would have been Stan Lee's 100th birthday. So I figured it was a perfect opportunity to dust off episode 215 of Geekville Radio, where a crazy train and myself paid tribute to Stan the Man Lee and shared our own personal stories about what happened in the past. I'll also link to the episode before that, Geekville Radio 214, where my friends from Geek Watch 1 also chimed in on Stan as well. So if you're a fan of comics, especially if you knew and respected Stan the Man Lee, this is definitely a show for you. So into the Wayback Machine for our little tribute to Stan the Man Lee. Well, it's a tribute too big for just one show, ladies and gentlemen. Hello, fellow geeks and geek guests. This is Seth, a.k.a. Zandrax, the mayor of Geekville and the host of Geekville Radio. And yes, we did do a tribute to Stan the Man Lee in our past episode, but our my usual co-host was unable to make that show, but he is here in the flesh for our own kind of round two tribute to Stan the Man Lee. Ladies and gentlemen, Crazy Train Jonathan Bullock. All aboard, ladies and gentlemen. Yeah, I'm, I'm sorry I missed the last one. It was kind of strange. You and I were recording our most recent lesser-known geek hall of fame about the Lone Ranger. Check that mm-hmm. out, and 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 you know, to the podcasting device of your choice. Cheap plug. And I hung up with you, Seth, and I had a text that Stan had passed. I can't say I was shocked because he was 95 right. years old, but still, you know, it's it's is as a geek, a guy who grew up on comic books, that's it's it's a pretty big body blow. Right. So right. I had told a lot of people the story over the years, and I'd put it up on my personal Facebook page. And I'll, I'll share the story here as well that, you know, I got to meet Stanley in 1998, where he signed my copy of Spider Man 129. And as I explained in the last show, that for comic buffs, that's the first appearance of the Punisher. So that comic was already, you know, of historical significance. And I got Stan to sign it. So it's kind of my geek measuring stick, so to speak, when it comes to what's the coolest geek thing you have. But the thing is about Stan, of course, obviously 95 years old, even in the 70s, I remember noticing, and it's what I wrote about, that he had a young man's handshake. And he always kind of seemed even well into his 90s, while you could tell you know, he had gotten older and he certainly made it no secret that he had trouble hearing. But... I don't think that sense of wonderment, so to speak, that we kind of lose from adolescence to adulthood, you know, when we have to start adulting all the time. I think Stan kind of kept that because, you know, he truly was a one of a kind. And I think he realized that being a comic book writer and a comic book inventor of sorts, I mean, that that is certainly not a bad life and not a career to uh, scoff at, certainly from an artistic standpoint. No, I think it's it's kind of humorous, and I, I would think Stan would probably say the same. If you look back when he got 
into the comic book world <laughs> through, I believe it was a family member, you know, in the, mm-hmm. the old timely comics. Right. He was only doing it as a part-time gig, hoping that it would parlay itself into a, a job as a novelist. He wanted to be a, a quote-unquote serious writer. Mm-hmm. I think that his impact <laughs> by being involved in the comics world was much, much greater than it ever would have been. I mean, I think he was a creative guy. He probably would have grown a good book. But believe me, there's novelists out there that are, that would be chomping the bit to have half of the notoriety that Stan Lee had and, and respect he had amongst us before his creative endeavors. So I think that's kind of humorous. You know, the, the guy's like, oh, it's just a part-time gig. I'm going to, I'm going to grow past this. And well, you know, he never did. He, he, he always stayed with comics and we're, 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 you know, we're thankful for it. You talk all the pop culture currently with the MCU, but I mean, comics were not at a good place in the sixties when he took over Marvel. They really right. weren't. They were on the downturn. They had just come out of the, the, the whole Kefauver hearings in the Senate and Comics were being accused of all kinds of terrible things. Yeah, believe it or not, there were controversies essentially saying that comic books, because it was the 50s, which in some ways the 80s were kind of like the 50s on steroids in some ways, when it came to uh, political intrigue, there were actually people that believed that comic books were corrupting the minds of youth because of all, you know, the horror and uh, violence that could happen. And, and there were actually people that somehow thought that comic books would turn you into a communist because everything turned you into a communist in the fifties. So, you know, so, yeah, it was called the red scare for a reason. Yeah. It was, it was paranoia and you know, comics were just not in a good place. I mean, I don't know. It was what, probably about five, five four or five years before he took over Marvel that the, the, the comics code was enacted. That was probably, was like 58. I think the comics code. Was yeah, 56. I think it was. And, and it was an attempt by the comic creators to, for lack of a better term, kind of self censorship. It's like, well, you know, and, and this is a very simplified, uh, possibly skewed because of my own bias that I freely admit just a summary of what happened that the, the comic book creators, essentially the, the publishers all kind of came together and said, okay, well, we're going to be regulated. So we can either do something voluntarily ourselves where we'll put forth this comics code that we're not going to depict women like this. We're not going to draw women like this. We're not going to show this, you know, drug use and only so much in violence. They can either voluntarily do that or we can let the government do it for us. So they kind of adopted the comics code voluntarily before the government stepped in to, you know, change anything for them. I mean, I know that's probably right. skewed from my own bias, but I don't think that's too far off from the truth. No, no, I think everybody freely admits that. I, 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 most of the people that were involved in the comics world at that point, that's kind of their same take on it. And so it was, if you go look at older comics, you'll see it. It's a little symbol. Mm-hmm. It was said as approved and it, that it met the standards of the comics code. And mm-hmm. the reason I bring this up is I'll get to it later when I talk more about some of my respect for Stan from a personal level. So when he takes over Marvel, this is going on. Comics, I mean, there was starting to be a resurgence because DC, of course, had started Justice League at that point. Right. And it, I, I mean, I think Justice League was essentially their attempt to reinvigorate some characters that had gotten stale like Batman, Superman, Wonder Woman. You know, yeah, um, yeah. I think just shooting from the hip, I think it was the flash that they had reintroduced and this would have been the Barry Allen flash yes. uh, instead of the right. Jay Garrick flash. And yeah, Correct. essentially that kind of restarted or reinvigorated the superhero genre. Justice League started coming out. 
And of course, superheroes, you know, Superman and all those guys being kind of squeaky clean for lack of a better term. And that kind of brings us into Atlas re, what would the word be? Rebranding. Uh, yeah. Rebranding. Thank you. That's the exact word I was looking for. Rebranding into Marvel and Stan kind of getting, getting the pen where he can cut loose with, with new superheroes. Right. And, and, you know, Fantastic Four was in direct created to be their version of Justice League. Stan's admitted that many times. That was the whole point. Fantastic Four was meant to be Marvel's super team up. And I don't know if Fantastic Four was Stan's favorite creation, but he was quite fond of it. There's no doubt about that. But I mean, most of your early Marvel stuff, I mean, comic fans know this, but the stuff that is the, the foundation of the Marvel Universe that come from the 60s, Stan had, had, was directly or, or indirectly involved in almost the creation of almost all of them. So you're talking Fantastic Four, you're talking Spider-Man, you're talking, and, and then when I say these, these characters, that also means they're rogues gallery too, usually, mm -hmm. the older villains. The X-Men, Black Panther, Doctor Strange, well, essentially what is um, truly is the foundation of the Marvel Universe. Is, right. is directly, and Steve Ditko and Jack Kirby, of course, as well. We've already talked about Ditko because sadly we lost him this year as well. We lost Kirby about, what, seven years ago, wasn't it, when we lost Jack Kirby? So, yeah. Uh, yeah, I mean, those were the guys that, that you know, created the Marvel way, the Marvel, what we know as Marvel. And, and I think that Stan, even though he wanted to be a novelist, once he got into comics, he stayed in it wholeheartedly and... and Everybody wants to praise Stan for his creativity, and they should, and for what he brought to the table as far as helping to create all these these iconic characters. They should. I think the greatest thing to me personally for Stan was he was just a fan of comics, and he was an ambassador for comics, and mm -hmm. he never stopped pushing this idea that comics was a was a, an art form. It was creativity. It was on par with literature and music and other forms of entertainment, it can be as enlightening and as educational and as entertaining as all of them. And it, and it went beyond just being juvenile. I think some of the themes that he dealt with in these early titles, we're talking like the X-Men, like the Fantastic Four, like Spider-Man, they kind of showed that, you know, that he was always going for this sense of comics are more than what you think they are. They're not just for kids. Right. And so he became this ambassador and he is, as a wrestling guy, I know that there are people that have never watched one professional wrestling match in their life, but they could pick Hulk Hogan, The Rock and Stone Cold Steve Austin out of a lineup. They know who they are. Mm -hmm. Stan's one of those, Stan's like the only guy behind the scenes in comics that I could probably say that about, you know? Right. There, if you're a comic geek like you and me, we can sit there and name dozens of creators, writers, artists. And other comic fans are going to know us, but you talk to a person who doesn't read comic books, they aren't going to know any of them. But you, you say Stan Lee, they knew Stan Lee, and they knew what he looked like because he was right. so out in the public pushing this this agenda of comics are the great thing. And it wasn't just Marvel. I think that you know you opened up there with his cameo in a DC property. The day that he passed, the you know the opening homepage for DC's website was a tribute to Stan Lee. And I mean, that's uh, the, the best analogy I can come up with that is like when Ray Kroc died, if Burger King had done a tribute to Ray Kroc, you know, who was mm -hmm. the founder yeah. of, of McDonald's, that's the same type thing. You know, this is, 
the main competitor to Marvel is DC. And this guy who's so intrinsically tied to, to, to Marvel is getting praised by the competition. He just meant that much to comics. I don't mm-hmm. think I can underscore that. For me personally, I remember even as a young boy, he was the guy who would show up on the Today Show or, or you know, he was the kind of guy that would go on Carson and he would be talking about comics. Mm-hmm. When did you get him to sign this, your, your, your particular Spider-Man? It was August of 1998, so a little bit more than 20 years ago as of this writing. I think it was actually the first Comic-Con that I had went to in Rosemont, because the Chicago Comic-Con, sometimes it's called Wizard World, I think it may still have the wizard name attached to it, but that was the main place, you know, just down the street from the Rosemont Horizon, now known as the Allstate Arena, was where a lot of these conventions took place. Is that the one with the, the cover has Spider-Man, the crosshairs and, and, and Punishers standing yes. there with, with, okay. Yeah. That's what yeah, I thought. Yeah. It's, it, it's been parodied in a lot of stuff since, Yeah. Well, I met Stan too, and I was much younger than you when I met him and I have a picture somewhere and, and ladies and gentlemen, if I find it, I need to go through storage. I will make sure it winds up on our webpage, but I'm sure most of our listeners remember this that are of our age. I know you remember that god-awful Spider-Man television series mm-hmm. that came out in the late 70s that was just horrendous. <laughs> well, I was a young boy, and I was just beginning to discover Ghost Rider, which all our listeners know is my favorite character. So at that point, Spider-Man was my favorite character. Said so as a seven-year-old child, I was just elated that this was going to be a TV show. You know, we had the Hulk, we had Wonder Woman, and I loved them. But, I mean, Spider-Man was, was it for me. And I lived in Denver at the time. I was living in the South. And, you know, Denver, like Chicago, is a big city. They get more things in smaller cities. And as part of the press junket to push this show, they were sending out a, a guy dressed up as Spider-Man and Stan Lee to malls all over the country in these bigger cities. And uh, I begged to go. And my mother took me because it was Spider-Man. And I met quote unquote Spider-Man and Stan Lee and have my picture taken with him. So that's uh, as a geek is one of my most precious pieces of geekdom. You know, I, I mean, and now that he's passed, it means even more, but here's this little, you know, starstruck seven-year-old crazy train with Spider-Man and Stan Lee. That's, that's about as mm-hmm. cool a geek thing as it gets, I think, you know? Yeah. Yeah. And in my case with it being in the nineties, I think I had brought a camera, but obviously 1998, the, the digital camera or the phone was not nearly what it was now. So I think right, I may right. have taken some pictures, but, you know, and those portable disposable cameras that maybe had a flash on it, you know, you, you, you were throwing the dice unless you really knew lighting and such to, to get a proper picture. So I don't think I ever got my picture taken with Stan, although he was taking pictures of people. Sure. Sure. I mean, this was the Stan I saw in the seventies. I think he had just started to grow the facial hair at that point because if he had a mustache in it. Mm-hmm. And he was just starting to get the Reed Richards salt and pepper. He still had, I don't know if he colored his hair or not. He was wearing the dark glasses for sure. And he looked like, you know, a cool old dude, if that makes mm-hmm. any sense. He he was very, very stylish for the time, but in a conservative way. I mean, he had like a turtleneck and, and you know, uh, I think it was like a, you know, like a suede jacket with the, with the elbow, you know, like a college professor with the elbow right. coverings and bell bottoms on, you know, he was dressed cool, but it was conservative. I mean, he didn't like, he was getting ready to go to the discotheque or anything, but right. it was definitely seventies attire. <laughs> yeah. yeah. So, something you might've seen in like a McDade, McDade's catalog at the time or something like that, you know? Mm-hmm. Exactly. 
that's, I mean, that's the only time I ever interact. I'm as many cons as I've been to. He was never in another con I went to. I never got to, to, to get my picture taken with him or, or shake his hand. I've, I've seen many of his interviews. I remember in the early nineties, and this is when I was in college after the mission for my church, there was a series of VHS tapes and, and that came out that I think was called the art of comics or the, the, the story of comics, like something of comics. But it was hosted by Stan. I don't. You said off mic that you you vaguely remembered this this series. Yeah, and I think, yeah. I think I had seen one that was playing at my local comic shop at at the time. Right. So it was one of those things they they would just put up on a on a TV. On just yeah, it, it, exactly. So I think that's where I remember seeing it, but I, I never saw it in its entirety. But I, I I remember renting renting it from Blockbuster. Yeah, that's that's a flash in, for the past, isn't yeah. it? <laughs> And, uh, it was, it was neat. It was, I mean, he had older guys on there, you know, guys from his youth, but the fact, the part that I found fascinating was he had like a, a very young Jim Lee and Todd McFarlane on there. And he did not seem to be out of step at all. Even with these guys who were, oh gosh, what in their twenties at the time, probably, you know, mm-hmm. and, and they were really the, the driving, they were becoming the driving factor in the comics world. At the time, and if you know the history of those guys and how they all left the major, the major, the two major studios and started Image and Wildstorm and all their own companies, and him, you know, it, it, it's amazing to see. You would think that Stan would be the kind of guy that they'd be a, like most twenty-year-olds are, a little bit of a smart aleck too. They weren't. Mm-hmm. They were so respectful of him, and you could just tell even through there. This was, it's like it's Stan Lee. You know, I mean, right. At the end of the day, Jim Lee and, and, and McFarlane and all those guys, guess what? They love staying as much as we did. You know, I mean, as much yeah. as they may have fought with the higher ups when they, once they became comics creators, at the end of the day, Stan Lee's still Stan Lee. He's still Stan the man, you know? Yeah. One of so. the sayings that I had borrowed, shall we speak, from Kevin Smith is he had said that Stan Lee is on the same level pedestal for him that like George Lucas and Steven Spielberg are on because obviously we know Kevin Smith's bring up was in comics and then got into movie directing. So two of the most famous movie directors and Stan Lee are kind of that trifecta of who's been the most influential. influential. In yeah. And I've obviously never been a movie director. don't really care to be one, but I can certainly relate to, you know, all the great movies that George Lucas and Steven Spielberg gave us and all the great characters that that Stan gave us. So one of the things I do tell people about Stan, because I know a lot of people these days will do both. I mean, you know, there's people like John Byrne who could write and draw. I mean, there still are guys like one of my favorite comic writers today is Mark Wade. But uh-huh. I'd seen people, maybe they were younger folks or maybe, you know, you kind of, if you learn something on the internet from a certain point of view, so to speak, to quote Obi-Wan, there were people saying, well, Stan wasn't much of an artist. And it's true. Stan would have been the first person to tell you that he needed guys like Steve Ditko, like John Romita, like Jack uh, Kirby. One, Jack Kirby. Yeah, that was the third one I was looking for. Is that Had he not had those people working with him, they might not have been the wonderful characters and creations that they were. I don't even think Stan was much of a guy who wrote blog and stuff. I think Stan was more of an idea man, you know? Yeah. Yeah. I, I think that's fair. And the things that Stan gave us that put him in that all time great category, 
you kind of like how I say, to make a guitar analogy, a musical analogy, anybody that picks up guitar today, if they want to play country or blues or, or rock, chances are they're going to know a lot of licks that Chuck Berry came up with. And they're probably going to know some licks that people like Carl Perkins came up with and maybe not even know it. I think right. there's things in the superhero trope that Stan Lee put out there that people take for granted now and might not realize that it was Stan that did it. Stuff like the imperfect hero or the flawed hero. Uh, mm -hmm. you know, as I've said before, you know, Spider-Man could toss around cars, but has trouble paying his rent on time. You know, right. Tony Stark was an alcoholic, you know, stuff like they, that. They Daredevil could do all these amazing things, but he's blind. Mm -hmm. And I think that is the, the major difference between Marvel and DC heroes. And I definitely think that is Stan's thumbprint. Now, I think later on, especially characters like Aquaman, Batman, I think DC writers made them more flawed. Yeah. Uh, but originally, no, they weren't. And that was what differentiated Marvel from DC. And that was all Stan. You know, mm -hmm. I think Stan, though, you're right, is the first guy to say he wasn't he wasn't an artist. He wasn't. I, I mean, I, I say this with a lot of love and a lot of endearment in my tone. So please don't take it the wrong way. But Stan was probably better at promoting Stan than anything else. Mm -hmm. There's nothing wrong with that. OK, <laughs> there's nothing wrong with that. It's just it, it was if it had been anybody other than Stan, I might have been bothered by it. But the fact that he was such a, a comics fan. Yeah, he pushed himself, but he pushed himself for the betterment of all comics. You know, I think that's why you're seeing the outpouring in the past few days of so many diversified people, but especially people in the comics world, whether they're directly related to it or they're, you know, they're tangent to it, like the actors that are in the MCU speak so highly of Stan is because Stan was just a fun guy. He was a nice guy. I think, you know, if you read any of his Stan soapbox, which of course what he became really well known for, which was essentially his take on the letters to the editor. And it was usually just him just, just uh, getting up on a soapbox, like I said, yeah. and just speaking his yeah, mind, just saying entry. whatever he felt. Yeah. yeah. Just, of course, that's where enough said Nick Celsior came from his, his two catchphrases where that's often how he signed those off. If you read those though, especially from the seventies and Stan just seemed like a guy who just wanted the world to get along, you know? I think it takes a mind like that to create heroes like he create, helped to create. Because as I say all the time, heroes are the ones that do what we hope we would do if we had their powers. That's what makes a hero. Mm -hmm. And believe me, the flawed heroes that Stan created, there's a lot of self-doubt that goes on in those characters. You see it throughout the run of Marvel characters. Then you, you name one whether it's Reed Richards or Tony Stark or Matt Murdock or, or T'Challa, they all have moments of self-doubt. But when push comes to shove, what do they do? The right thing, mm -hmm. you know? So I think it takes a man that has that much hope and that much compassion in his heart to create characters like that. So I think it was legit from Stan. I think it's just who he was. I mean, he was, he was a Jewish kid from, that grew up, you know, poor in New York City. He saw the horrors of war. He served in World War II. You know, it, it, it's, he saw a lot of bad things and yeah. he never let it get him down. He, he just, you know, Stan was one of those people who said the world needs to be at a better place and it can start with you, you know? And it, it's, it's, it's that mindset that gets me as a comics fan to try to get non-comics fan to understand what I see in comics. What most of us see in comics is that, yeah, it's escapism and it's all this, but at the end of the day, you can really learn some important life lessons from comics, you know? 
Um, mm-hmm. Bringing up World War II, I, I mean, I think to me, of all, of all the things, though, I think I probably respect Stan for, uh, he he married the love of his life. It was a joy. He met her in, in Britain when he was serving over there during World War II, and they were happily married till she passed away several years ago. What, 60 years almost that they were together? And that, that sound right to you? I think it was, I think it was almost 70. Yeah, she, she passed, I think it was last year, because I think it was shortly after he did the panel that I saw with mm. Frank Miller. And in and, and today's day and age, to be married double digits is amazing. To be married that long to the same person is really amazing. So, yeah. you know, kudos to, to the two of them. I, I'm, I'm, I remember they did a documentary on Stan about 10 years ago, and it was just really, really neat to see the two of them dancing. They put on these old, you know, old like, like swing records from the 40s. And here's the two of them in their living room dancing just probably like they did years ago, you know, when they first met. And I'm going, and you could just tell these two people are really in love, you know, just like mm-hmm. two kids. And I just thought that was amazing. And I'm going that, you know, if nothing else to like Stan Lee, take that, to, you know, that's a pretty yeah. cool example. I mean, we could all learn from that. I'm sure they're together again, dancing again. And that's. That's always the the silver lining in the in, in the clouds of, of when somebody passes. If you have, you know, not to get preachy, but if you have a, a belief system like I do, you believe that we're going to have something after this life, and those are the kind of things we can look forward to, you know. So ninety five is, is a long time. I mean, I, I want to be sad, but at the same time, ninety five they had a very long productive life. That's amazing, you know. Right. Yeah. I mean, it's something we'll we'll get into in our next segment when we talk about. The, the great Roy Clark, he was actually born the year before Hank Williams was, Hank Williams Sr., when you think about that. So, right, you right. Know, so, you know, Stan was actually older than, than Hank Williams Sr. Right. I mean, so many people that are famous and that have an influence on us die young. They just do, you know, in their 20s, 30s, 40s. Stan outlived. I mean, Stan, Stan was around so long, he outlived people that he influenced and helped start in the business. That's amazing when you think about it, you know? Yeah. He, he lived yeah. longer than they did. But my, my personal thing I wanted to talk, I'll talk about with Stan is the funny Stan story. And then I, I'll, I'll, I'll turn it over to you to wrap it up, Seth. We talked earlier about the comics code and how he kind of came in and revitalized the comics, which is amazing to me as a comics guy. One of the things that was outlawed by this comic code was for something that's near and dear to my heart, which is the horror-related stuff. They, you, they weren't allowed, allowed to show vampires or werewolves or zombies or anything of the occult. So they just completely neutered horror-based comics altogether. Mm-hmm. Of course, Stan was still was running Marvel at the time when there were writers there that wanted to resurrect, so to speak, Dracula and put him in the comics. And this is where the Blade character came from, were these stories, the Tomb of Dracula. And this was been like 71, 72, 73, somewhere in there. And, and they came up with a great story and they, they, they storyboarded it and everything. And they approached Stan and said, you know, we're going to be breaking the comic codes if we do this. And Stan, being the, the savvy businessman he was, said, why do we have to put the comics code on it? Right. So they just published it, the, 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 which was, I mean, he was smarter to realize this was like you said in your explanation, Seth, it was self-imposed by the comics people. And it was them that put the little stamp on the outside saying this meets the code. There was nothing, nothing that said you can't produce these kind of comics. All it said was if you produce these kind of comics, you're just not going to have this little stamp on the cover. So that's what they did. There is a documentary out there 
on Netflix, I believe. At least I first saw it on Netflix. That was about comic books and superheroes. And I think it talks about what we were talking about in the early part of the show about the, the times in the 50s. And there was another instance when Stan was still writing for Marvel at the time. And it was a Spider-Man story dealing with drug use. And one of those yes. things that could not be shown under the comics code was drug issues, you know, you know, taking drugs. But Stan's argument was this is going to have a negative outlook on drug usage. You know, the, the, per, the kid taking drugs, bad things happen. But, right. you know, rules are rules. And Stan, I think, said, maybe not in defense of, but at least to be a fair man, I think Stan was saying that these people with the comics code, I think they were only trying to do what they thought was the right thing. And right. then he concluded, well, if it's not going to follow the comics code, then we just won't put the comics code on the issue. And it was a very controversial thing for its time. But in the end, it's looked at as one of the better, more historic Spider-Man stories out there. Sure. So I think the fact that he had the, 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 the foresight to do that on the story, like you're talking about on, on the horror stuff. And, you know, it's, it's funny in 2018, to see what comics have become, to think about comics that didn't involve, you know, the horror comics has a very, very devoted, devout following, very serious issue. Look at I me, mean, look what the Punisher morphed into to go back to mm -hmm. your, your signed comic. The Punisher never becomes that. If it wasn't guys like Stan who, I mean, I think Stan respected and understood why the comics code was put in, but he, and he worked within the system as best he could. But when he had a story to be told, he felt that was important. So we'll put it on there. <laughs> And, right, and I can't right. remember, when did, when did the Comics Code Authority seal go away? Mid-80s, I think? Yeah, I think it was right about the time, maybe a little bit before, but I think it was the early 90s, maybe a little bit before Image started, or maybe a little bit after that. But I think it was sometime in the 90s, because I do distinctly remember getting comics in the 80s when I first started getting into superheroes that... I was seeing these, you know, comics codes, you know, that little box with the wings on it or something like that, that yep. signified that this, this was in compliance with the comics code. And now obviously it, it doesn't exist. I think, yeah, it was the nineties, maybe around 2000 that, you know, comics had just become such a different form of entertainment than they were in the, in the, in the fifties that I think all the titles just kind of voluntarily dropped, especially since those kids that grew up reading stuff on the comics code we're now, now running they were adults <laughs> you know they were the ones calling the shots now so yeah mm -hmm. but i mean it, that that's my personal indebtedness as, as a comic book guy to stan lee outside of him creating you know spider-man which is like my number two character of all time is the fact that he had the guts and the understanding of what could be done to bring horror comics back and and you know me. I love Constantine. I love Blade. I love all those types of characters. I'm a horror guy, you know, and I think they're a vital part of comics. And Stan's one of the reasons why they still why they exist today because they sure as heck weren't around for a while because of the comics code. So, thank you, Stan, for that. Yeah, and I don't think it's cliched to say it. Well, it probably is cliched, but I don't think it's overstating it that there's probably never going to be somebody on the level of Stanley. There may be an amazing creator who creates a huge title that becomes a, a household name, kind of like what, you know, Rob Liefeld did with Deadpool. That's probably a more right. modern example, but right. a guy who essentially created the universe 
that these characters are in. And getting back to what I was talking about with making the musical analogy, Stan was the person that popularized and started using regularly the shared universe because DC, even during their resurgence into superheroes, there wasn't any continuity between the titles. You know, if you read Superman, the stories began and ended in that issue of Superman, however long the arc was. Same thing with Batman and all that. So it really wasn't unlike episodic TV, where a TV episode has a beginning, middle, and end to the story, and then all of the shows are cookie cutter, so you could kind of watch them in any order. You know, if you watch them on syndication or something like that. Stan brought in that, okay, if something happens in this issue of Fantastic Four, it might affect Spider-Man in his title. And that shared universe, very much the basis on what the Marvel movies are, how how do you say, arrested on, you know, the very foundation. Mm -hmm. That's something Stan was doing in the 60s, and it's just become a commonplace now. It's it's that shared universe concept you're talking about that Stan created. It seems to always be central centralized around New York City, right? You've heard us talk about before. New York City is is as much a a character of the Marvel universe as Captain America or or, or Black Panther or, or whoever you know Deadpool is. That's Stan. Okay, mm-hmm. Stan was a New York boy his whole life. He loved New York City. And he just had an opportunity as a guy you know, who was in a position that he was in to be able to, to highlight that. And I think, you know, I'm a Southern boy, I'm a good old boy, and we're suspicious at best of New York City. You know, it's the ultimate big city and it's the ultimate Yankee mm-hmm. town. Yeah, there's a reason why that salsa commercial has a New York City punchline. <laughs> yeah, <laughs> man, if you don't know what I'm talking about, YouTube Dixie on my mind by Hank Williams Jr. That kind of explains Southerner's point of view on, on New York City, and I'll just leave it at that. But Stan was this guy who showed you the human side to New York City. Even those of us that aren't that big of fans in New York City, he would try to make you a believer, and so I respect him for that. Yeah. It, 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 if nothing else, I'm a person, as a Southerner, appreciates home. And appreciates that the concept of, of being home in your homestead. Well, that was New York City for Stan, and you know he didn't he didn't shy away from that. But I, 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 you made me think about that when you said the shared universe because I got to thinking. Well, it's all tied in because it's all New York City, and and that stands the reason why it's New York City. It, he right. just is right. There's there's a reason why creators will say when they're giving their nuggets of knowledge to other writers or other creators, write what you know because mm-hmm. you'll know what you're talking about. Right. Well, he, he, will de- he will definitely be missed, and I'll be interested to see how they handle his passing with the next entry in the Marvel Cinematic Universe, which should be what? Captain Marvel? Is that right? I believe it's Captain Marvel, and then the second part to Infinity War, which I don't know about Captain Marvel, but I do remember Marvel saying that Stan did film his cameo for the fourth Avenger, so we will be seeing at least one more high-profile cameo from right. from Stan. And quite frankly, I would not complain at all if they continue with a Stan Lee cameo in some capacity, because obviously they can digitally recreate him now. Oh, heck, or, some, some of his cameos you know, like Luke Cage on Netflix is just a picture on the wall. They can right. do something like that. Problem. Mm-hmm. I'll be interested to see, and this is peripheral. I know that it's in the can because it's coming out next month in December, that the upcoming James Wan directed Aquaman. We talked about the respect Stan had amongst 
you see people. Would not be shocked if there's a in memory of or for Stan thing on tied to that movie that because that's something you can easily put in right before it goes, you know, off the door. Right. You can just be tacked on to the credits. Right. And I would not be shocked. I really wouldn't. Mm-hmm. That's the kind of respect he he generated in the comics world. And I, <laughs> I think I even heard Stan say one time, but he didn't create Superman, but he sure wish he had. <laughs> yeah, like that. yeah. You know, <laughs> it's, it's just that self-deprecation. But anyway, condolences to his family. I don't believe him and his wife had any children, did they? I believe there were two children. I know he at least had a daughter okay. because okay. I think I think his daughter essentially inherited the estate, so to speak, or, you know, the, 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 the say in what is done with Stanley in the future. I, I could be wrong about that, but I seem to remember reading a blurb about that, that basically said that, that uh, he had a daughter that's essentially going to be his, whatever the word is, you know, keeper of all, you know, legal materials, so to speak. It's like Lisa Marie and Perret and Priscilla, they run the, the Elvis estate. It's the same type of thing. I understand what you're saying. Yeah. Right. All right. So, you know, condolences to his family. He has boatloads of fans. We're all kind of, we're all kind of hurting right now, but it's hard to think about Stan Lee and not get a smile on your face because he's Mm -hmm. brought so much happiness to our lives. So you will be missed and thank you for everything. There's a gazillion geeks out there that owe you a lot of credit and a lot of thanks. A big excelsior to the Generalissimo. You know, we, we won't see him around here, but Literally, a lifetime is worth of memories made, so. Geekville Radio is not sponsored or endorsed by any product or company unless specifically stated. The views expressed by the host and or guests are purely their own and do not represent the views of geekvilleradio.com, a1-wrestling.com, or any affiliates. Some media used on Geekville Radio is the respective copyright of its publishers, all rights reserved. It's a DC movie. I love cameos. Not now, Stanley! Excelsior!